podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm sorry if I sound a little bit uh, low-key today, but um, it was a tough day for England, the third day of the Barbados Test match, and they only took three wickets. They could have had five, but there was one uh, decision which they decided not to review, Jermaine Blackwood on naught, who could have been given out and wasn't. And then also, poor old Saki Mahmood took his first Test wicket with a no-ball. Oh, it's one of those days for bowlers where there was nothing much in the pitch and then when England did get something right, either the umpiring or a decision review didn't work in their favour. So, well, I guess to go to bed, um, feel a bit sad and try and get up in the morning and feel more positive. Well, after Ben Stokes yesterday, it was normal service resumed today. The, the, the series was resumed to where it's been so far, really, a grind, attritional. You can't blame the West Indies at all. I mean, they actually had a really good day. If you'd offered them that at the start of the day, they'd have taken it. Once England made 500, what are West Indies options? Pretty limited in terms of trying to force a positive result. So you sort of have to play for a draw. And Brathwaite yesterday was immovable. And, and Blackwood was, well, he shouldn't have been immovable. But he was until late in the day. Yeah, well played, Brathwaite. It's the second big block hundred from West Indies in this series. I mean, you can sort of understand why the spectators, the home spectators, don't pour into West Indies cricket stadiums because it's a far cry from Greenwich and Richards and Lloyd and Sobers. But it's tough test cricket. The pitches are not really conducive, are they, to really exciting stroke play. And you know, it's hard work for everybody. Mm. Yeah, well played to Brathwaite. I mean, you have to give them some credit. That you know they did apply themselves very well, and you know they hit the odd boundary, and uh, it wasn't entirely boring actually. Because I think because there was a little bit in the pitch, the occasional ball did something. Whereas in Antigua, it was just as dead as a dodo. I think um, <laughs> the one thing about the the crowds, I'd say, is that I'm not sure that it's the fair on the field which is deterring the West Indies fans. I, I read a piece actually the other day, which was very well argued, which said, look, the venues are mainly to attract English fans, particularly, well, Antigua, Barbados, Grenada. They're all tremendous holiday venues. So not surprisingly, you get between five and 10,000 England fans travelling out. Now, most of those islands, a lot of the support, a lot of the employment is in the tourist industry. And if you've got the option of earning an extra, I don't know, 100 bucks for a day's work serving the English fans or not working and going to the cricket and mm. paying a tenner, well, which one are you going to choose? So that's the problem, is that an awful lot of the people who might have gone to the cricket are working in hotels and bars and restaurants, earning, a, earning their corn, understandably, instead of going to the cricket. Yeah, it's a good point, isn't it? Uh, cricket is played at a time when people, uh, generally speaking, are working. Saturday and Sunday, you know, perhaps you might have a, a day or two off over the weekend. But yeah, middle of the week, you're, you're right in terms of the venues. I mean, West Indies tour these days when England play, generally speaking, you know, we, when was the last time England went to Guyana to play, for example, or to 
or to Trinidad or to Jamaica. I mean, there have been a lot of games in these venues of late. And yeah, as a sort of prag- ultra pragmatic or sort of tourist based, economy based uh, decision, isn't it? To, to, to get the England fans in. And they've turned up in great numbers. I mean, w- will they turn up for the last couple of days? I mean, uh, after a day like yesterday. Well, I think if I was one of the. Uh, you, you mean the Barmy Army, do you? Yeah, we'll we, we, just I'd go be, to the beach today. I'll be on the beach <laughs> by now. <laughs> definitely. Halfway through today, I think, definitely on the beach. Yeah. Uh, well, England did have their moments. Uh, I, I have to say, and we're going to disagree on this, aren't we? The the LBW shout against a Bonner. I was watching this, and I, I applied my my usual. Um, you mean Blackwood? So, yeah, sorry, just to edit there. Um, England did have their chances. The LBW shout against a Blackwood. Now, I, I applied my my normal um, test for this, which was as you're watching the television, is you, do you immediately go. Out or not out? Do you raise the finger or do you say not out? And I, I that's out. Surely that was out. Um, it, it was a sort of optical illusion. I mean, it, it had this sort of impression. I think you thought it was going down the leg side, didn't you? And the umpire did. I think ben, obviously Ben Stokes did as well. I wasn't that surprised to see it you know, firmly hitting leg stump. I thought as, at best, or at worst, as, as far as England concerned, it would be umpire's call. So it was worth having a go. I thought there was a decent chance that was hitting the stumps. But they didn't go for it. And it's amazing, isn't it? A, a bloke who really effectively was out on naught goes on to make 102 and, and holds you up for, for most of the day. What was the partnership? 180-odd. They batted for 68.3 overs. But you, you thought it was going down. Well, I did, actually. I, I think it's maybe the, the body position, because he was on leg stump and seemed to jerk his legs back yeah. outside the leg stump, but he was actually hit in line with leg and mm. hit leg. So... Yeah, there was a, that was one that, that all the, everyone got wrong, apart from Orkai. Uh, shame. And I suppose it shows that you need to use those reviews as much as possible, especially on a pitch like that, and, and especially when someone's on naught, actually. Um, yeah, I think you've got to be kind of more um, judge, oh. sort of judicious about how you use the review. Someone on naught, a top-order player, if it's looking even marginal, maybe go for it. I have to say, though, there was another one with Blackwood uh, not long afterwards when uh, Mahmood was bowling, and I did give that out. And that was another one where the, the foot position changed uh, very quickly. It was actually hitting him outside the line on the foot from a very full delivery, and then he pulls it, it back in line. So it happened so quickly. I thought that one was out. Of course, the other one, the one that was hitting leg stump, you're right, the, the batter there, Blackwood, sort of pulls his leg back. So it all happened so quickly. So the impression is that that one was missing and that the other one was hitting. And, well, he survived both of them, uh, one uh, incorrectly and one uh, correctly, because England reviewed the later one, didn't they? That was one, that was one of those uh, boot-bat situations that they reviewed against Blackwood, but his foot was outside the line, so Mahmood didn't get his first test wicket there. And as you say, he didn't get it later. That was a lovely Yorker. He, he has Ooh. got that reverse swing, hasn't he? He's, and he, he's capable of that, that sort of full-pitched, in-swinging delivery. It's a mm. lovely delivery to get rid of Blackwood. Actually, it would have been a great sort of way to get your first test wicket wouldn't it a lo- lovely delivery knocking the stumps over uh, a bloke who's got a hundred or bloke who's on his way to a hundred but it, it wasn't to be and he, he was just over the line yeah uh, very sad because it can happen and um, I mean obviously bowlers should be half and half on the front line they should really have at least their heel behind but yeah I'm yeah I'm 
kind of not the person to to talk like that because I used to have terrible no ball problems at times. And why why you know, was that? So why, why can't I don't well why can't I mean, you do anything about it? You you, you it, it's actually it, that's a very good question. It is really difficult once you get into a groove of where you're landing. It feels totally weird trying to land anywhere else. And what happens is even if you lengthen or shorten your run, you still end up in the same place. It's it's a, a sort of figment of your imagination. It's, it's, it's in your head. It's in your mind when you're running in that you need to take off for your, with your back leg from a certain point. That's, that's sort of conditioned in, in your psyche and your overall biorhythms over years and years of bowling. You... You know, kind of in, in in your sort of sixth sense, knows where the stumps are and where you need to land, mm. and you land there and take off from that point, wherever you run from. Uh, Partly, you know, it's sort of because in the nets, obviously, various nets have got different lengths of run-ups. Sometimes you're in an indoor net where it's really short. Sometimes you can run as far as you like. Sometimes there's people in the way in the net, so you sort of have to set off from a shorter run. You get conditioned to wherever you're running from, landing in the same, pretty much the same spot, uh, and it's just hard to shift. And often, also, you start digging a bit of a hole, and if you then try and come back, you land on the edge of the hole, and it all feels totally different. Fast bowling is very much about feel mm. and how your foot lands, and it sounds like a sort of another case for you getting out the violins, but it. it if there's a little hole there and your foot just land, lands slightly on an angle or slightly on a down slope or slightly on an upslope, it feels weird and it kind of sends these funny waves through your body. And actually, if you think about it, you know, the, the, the process of fast bowling is the contraction and expansion of probably a thousand tendons and, and muscles all coordinating together. And if you get one bit of that slightly wrong, if the foot, doesn't really grip or it's at an, an angle when you release it does cause everything else to be uh, off kilter and and you know as a result the ball is is a different ball and so that's why bowlers try and land in the same spot every time and sometimes you just get your your run up a little bit quicker and you end up just pushing the line and overstepping so when you practice in the nets when you bowled in the nets did you bother about the no balls at all or did you just run in and bowl because you see because well, sometimes yeah, i watch nets you watch nets yeah. at top level and bowlers yeah. just bowl they huge, overstep they bowl constantly. huge no, no yeah. balls the whole no, that's time that's absolutely true and it is a discipline thing uh, there are many bowlers i mean angus fraser was one i played with for years who would always overstep in the nets and it was a nightmare facing him but he never no balled in a match interestingly and I think Stuart Broad's a bit like that as well. And and Jimmy, actually, Jimmy Anderson. But uh, it is a bad habit to get into, uh, especially now in one-day era when, you know, no ball causes a free hit. So uh, I, it is about discipline, actually. And basically, you know, to cut a long story short, I went back to, to basics when I was about 28 and worked out a run-up which would enable me to land my toe on the front line. Mm. And I was able to then vary where I landed because my run-up was so consistent. And that's what you need to do, actually. And nowadays, with tape measures and stuff like that, there are ways of making sure your run-up is exactly the same. But, of course, you know, on, on a, on a uh, one day, you run in quicker than another day. Yeah. And so even though you measure it out... It isn't an exact science. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you say bowling's like feel. So some days it just feels right. Yeah, everything feels right, and other days it does. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It, and it you really can't, you does, can't, and, you can't. and you can't control that really very easily. I mean, that's that's why I so, I so admire someone like Jimmy Anderson mm. or, or or Broad really because they are so consistent, and it's there are so many little things that can go wrong or alter how you arrive at the crease. And then if you arrive differently, the delivery is going to be different. So they've figured out a way of being able to produce a great delivery, even though some of the other bits of the arrival and the landing are not the same. Of course, one thing that is different from when you were bowling, yours is that in, in your day, the umpire would call no ball straight away. So you wouldn't get that sense of elation straight away. Because as you, you, know, you deliver the ball, I know the batter nick it or whatever is bold and immediately you'd hear that call of, of no ball but uh, these days of course uh the mood able to celebrate just sort of drink in the glory of the moment really it's a bit like you know score a goal in football these days until it goes to you know um, var yeah. and then it gets chalked off so you do have that moment of elation and the five seconds ten seconds and whatever of course it is a try, scoring a try in rugby yeah. as yeah, well yeah like that, that's right yeah uh, yeah it, it, it's a sort of double Double uh, emotion, isn't it? Ecstasy followed by agony, and in a way, it adds a bit more theatre to the to the event. But obviously, it's not that nice for the person. No, tough, tough for Mahmood. And and then later on, just talking about uh, decision reviews, one they didn't review earlier against uh, Bonner, which I thought was out initially, like in in real time as I was watching it, and then they review one right at the end of the day's play against Joseph. They just burnt off a review. It was a one that turned onto the pad out to silly point. I don't know what England were thinking of it. It wasn't going to be LBW because it just turned too much. And then I, I suppose it's just a possibility they thought it might have flicked the glove on the way out, but it actually missed by quite a long way. It missed sort of on the inside and on the outside by quite a lot and was spinning down the leg side. And it was the night watchman. I, I, you know, they burnt off a review for something that was really speculative. They didn't really go for it. They appealed, but they didn't really go for it. No one was really sure. I think... I don't know when you, what uh, what's that frustration, just de- desperation to to nick one just before the end. But I thought you know wiser counsel uh, should have prevailed and, and just hold on to the review really. And I suppose I, I suppose when you've missed one early in the day, it sort of it's, it must be gnawing away at you. It's a bit like dropping a catch, isn't it? Really, you know the fielder that drops the catch every run the batter scores after that is agony. And I suppose it must be the same if you know a bloke's out. If you'd reviewed it, absolutely plum, and you don't get it, you, it just—it must just eat away at you all day. How did the uh, England bowlers do overall? I—I I thought actually uh, Matt Fisher looked pretty good. Uh, it, it probably needs a little bit more pace. Uh, his, his pace is varied a lot, actually. He bowled some balls. In fact, the ball I think he took his wicket, which seems like a, a decade ago now. He, well, certainly to him, uh, it was about 137, 138 kilometres, so sort of 80, high 80s. And then a lot of the deliveries were 130 and less. So I think his average speed is about 130, 131, 132. He could probably just get that up a bit. But he he, he looks like a good line bowler. He He maintained a good line and a pretty good length. I noticed his seam position wasn't perfect. Uh, it comes out scrambled quite a lot of the time. So he could do a bit of work on that. But overall, looks consistent. I think he'll take wickets in England. Mahmood 
less effective because of his slightly slingier action. Doesn't get as much bounce. Obviously looks good with an older ball when he can reverse swing it. Doesn't get much movement or if any movement away from the right-hander conventionally. And that's a, a slight handicap. Chris Wokes, and also, by the way, I thought Mahmoud's seam position wasn't great either, actually. He comes out slightly tilted. Chris Wokes, he's a funny one, isn't he? He does get the ball to swing abroad, but it goes very early in the, in the flight and the batsman can, can read it. I think Chris Wokes is more of a seam bowler, even though he does get swing. I think he's more of a seam bowler. I think the swing goes very early from the arm and he's easy to line up. Whereas in England, you get the swing and the seam. Uh, and he is able to use both more effectively in England. Uh, just he, he just can't get any re response off the pitch in in West Indies, or you know, usually when he's abroad, and he just gets frustrated. Mm, yeah, Jack Leach. Uh, uh, sorry, to, just to finish, I'm um, Jack Leach. Jack Leach was steady all day, bowled a few good deliveries, but I thought very noticeably. When he was slower than 85 kilometres, which is, I suppose, what, 55 miles an hour, he got more response. But he doesn't like to bowl at that speed. He likes to bowl quicker. And th there, there was a, an interesting stat came up on the screen which said when his speed was less than 85, so 55 miles an hour, he was getting 5.3 degrees of spin. When the speed was faster, he was getting significantly less spin but only 15% of his deliveries were in that lower speed level so he's, he's got to get the ball up a bit more he's got to toss it up a bit more it's not easy because you you find a rhythm as a bowler and a, and a sort of natural pace but I think he's in these especially in these conditions you've got a lot of runs to play with and there's potential for to, to induce a false shot get the ball higher toss it up a bit more and okay if you give away a few falls hit over the top fine but I think you've got to try that in the, in these sorts of conditions. One tactic that Jack Leach did employ was bowling. He's bowling left arm around the wicket. Well, he did he did go over a, uh, the wicket for a few overs, and they just padded him away. But he he had this line quite consistently um, where he's bowling left arm around the wicket with a leg slip in and a backwards square leg, and that's sort of counterintuitive, really, for a, a slow left arm because it's sort of like you're almost like you're sort of angling it a bit down the leg side. But I presumably you're trying to catch the the batter in two minds it's angling down the leg side are you going to sort of try and glance it off the face and if it does just straighten there's a good chance you'll be lbw that's that's how i was trying to read that tactic uh, mark butcher was on commentary saying i've never seen a leg slip fielder take a catch off a slow left armor I mean, you can you can understand having a leg slip fielder for a, a an off-break bowler because one that turn, you know, turns in and just i don't know takes the glove or something you glance it down the leg side but for a slow left armor normally on a, on a turning pitch or a pitch that is offering some turn you'd have a slip and you'd have perhaps a gully as your close catches rather than the leg slip. Yeah, it's partly to do with his trajectory. Mm. He's very wide on the crease and he, he tends to angle the ball in to the batsman. But what you find is when he bowls more just outside off stump, he doesn't seem to get that drift into the, the right-hander, stays out wide. So he tends to feel that he needs to bowl quite straight to make the batsman play. So he tends to bowl more middle and mm. leg. And because of the way batsmen play now with their bat out in front of their pad, it and also because actually Leach, I think, undercuts the ball a bit as well, quite often, which means it slides on rather than gripping and turning. 
uh, th therefore quite a lot of balls that the batsman plays forward to get the inside edge and go in the sort of leg slip, short leg sort of direction. So it's, it's partly to do with his trajectory and his angle of attack and his line of attack, which means he tends to bowl straighter than some left-arm spinners. Yeah. Well, he bowled 44 overs, one for 97. It, as you say, steady, I think is probably about the best word uh, used to sum up. Uh, he Jack didn't Lynch. let anybody down. But, but, but he, he just did, wasn't, he, but he wasn't, he wasn't yeah, dangerous. He wasn't da yeah, dangerous. No, of course, and then Dan Lawrence comes on right at the end of the day's play, picks up a wicket almost straight away. And the one thing about Lawrence, he did get the ball to turn. Of course, he's got, he has got that extra height, hasn't he? So you, that extra bounce. So it's easy to say in hindsight, isn't it? Well, he should have bowled earlier because he got a wicket uh, straight away. It was a strange one, actually. Blackwood just padded up, padded up to a ball that was hitting the stumps. You know, given out and he reviewed, you know, it, it was out. It was, it was plum. Uh, but again, Lawrence came on and took a wicket. And you just wonder on a day like that yesterday whether Lawrence might have bowled a little bit earlier in the day's play. As I say, it's very hard to say. You know, it's very easy to be wise after the event. But... It was, there were a lot of there were a lot of overs bowled yesterday and a lot of frustration out there. Um, yeah, you think he could have bowled a bit earlier? Mm. Yeah, it was a tough day for England. So, what else did you notice about day's play? Just one thing, actually, and it goes back to umpiring. Um, we, we've talked about the ones that England didn't get and some of the reviews, the the no ball wicket and that sort of thing, and the review at the end of the day's play. the The second wicket of the day, Nakuma Bonner. Now. That that was a that was a strange uh, dismissal. Did he hit it? Uh, it was umpire's call for LBW. He reviewed, he was given out. I thought it was a bit high actually. When I was watching, you know that, that again that thing where you say is it out or not out. I thought it was high. I would have given that not out. And of course, if it'd been if he'd umpired given it not out, it it was stayed with the umpire. And it would have been not out. But did he hit it? Uh, it was it was a really tough one for the third umpire. That the only thing I can think about with that is that was there enough evidence to overturn? the original umpire's decision. Uh, there were a lot of people who, who thought there was a scratch on it, an inside edge onto the pad before it, yeah, an inside edge before it went onto the pad. Um, what, what, did you, do you have a view on that? It's well, it was a really I, difficult, yeah, do, it was actually. a really difficult one to tell <clears throat> that. I, I do have a view on that. And that is that these sound waves are sometimes quite indistinct. And, uh, you know, you talk about the, uh, the precision required to make a, a judgment about that and it's such a quick thing you know the ball is ricocheting from either from bat to pad or straight through onto the pad but there is a nanosecond between the time when the ball is close to the edge of the bat and hitting mm. the pad in this that's case. right it was, it was that sometimes, wasn't it? yeah, it, it was yeah and sometimes the sound waves uh, that, that you look at on the graph are a bit uh, slightly out of sync fractionally out of sync with the vision mm. And that does make it extra confusing. So you kind of got to go with what you saw initially and the umpire's decision. And I, I thought there was enough evidence. You know, when you stop the ball uh, next to the edge and start, try and detect if there is an edge from the sound, sometimes those pictures and the sound are slightly out yeah. of sync. Yeah. And you've got to try, the, the technicians try to get them as close as possible, but sometimes the ball is between frames or something, the per the actual ball, we the position of the ball is between frames, and the sound waves are a bit, you know, a bit muddied or a bit corrupted or something. So, 
uh, you just got to go with your kind of best hunch and and the umpire's call stands. Yeah. I, I, I watched the pictures again, you know, the front on pictures, and you could see to see whether you could detect a nick onto the pad. And some of them I thought, yeah, I definitely can see a nick. And others I thought, oh, no, I'm not so sure. Is it just, is it just an optical illusion? But you're right, because the bat was so close to the pad. Funny, you get that you get these ones every now and again, and you just you just don't know. I mean, technology can sort out most things, but not everything. And uh, Bonner was on his way. He got he was the beneficiary of some couple of umpires' calls, LBWs in the last Test match in Antigua, and played that really gritty innings, a bit like Brathwaite uh, did today. But perhaps fortune not quite on his side today. Well, it's a marginal one that that got England on their way. So it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't everything, it wasn't total frustration for England. They actually got one there that, that went in their favour. Well, just um, before we wrap up, Yoz, what, what about the state of the game? We haven't talked about that overall. West Indies 288 for four in reply to 507 for nine declared. Are we heading towards an inevitable draw here or is there still something in this game for England to try to make the running if they can take some wickets in the first session? <sighs> Uh, they've got obviously they've got to bowl West Indies out, and that's going to take could take another session and a half. Jason Holder's not even at the wicket, so if even if they bowl West Indies out by mid afternoon on the fourth day, they'll then have to go and bat. They'll have to bat until close at least. So they'll probably have you know potentially ninety overs. It depends if the pitch deteriorates at all in the time that. England bowl today and bat. And I mean, actually, um, what John Embry, my old colleague at Middlesex, used to say was get your long spikes on when you're batting second innings, run up and down the pitch, scuff it up, which is kind of legitimate if you're in the process of playing a shot. Um, So that's what England need to do. But whether that will actually have any impact on the surface, I don't know. One uh, one little thing just to mention, completely aside from the test match, uh, I was at a dinner last night at Lord's, actually, for... My old club, Ealing's 150th anniversary, a club founded in 1870. Uh, now, a couple of little facts about 1870. Charles Dickens, it was the year he died. And also, it was the first ever international football match played in 1870 between England and Scotland at the Oval. Uh, so it shows how long ago it was. This was the, uh, the year that the club was founded, 1870. The, the 150th anniversary should have been in 2020, but... It was postponed twice because of COVID. So last night we celebrated the 150th anniversary. And the interesting thing about that club, actually, which was my old club, which was at the top of my parents' road, and I went down when I was 11 and, and kind of was, was part of the club ever since. There are three players that played for the club from Colts, aged about 12, until they were in their 70s. Bob Fisher, who is now the, the new president, John Lindley and Alan Price all played for over 50 years for the same club from sort of being in the Colts to being in their late 60s. Um, Fantastic achievement. And they were all um, afforded a a presentation, a special kind of celebration last night. And it's just a, a great story, actually. It's a really good traditional club which has produced a number of first class cricketers, not not just me, but Ned Eckersley, who has played at Leicestershire and Durham, and actually recently Robbie White, who has just got another contract with Middlesex. So it, uh, it's a lovely story, actually, a club that has managed to survive over 150 years and is absolutely thriving with five or 600 juniors on a Friday or uh, on a Friday night or a Sunday morning. And they're, they're, it's an incredibly thriving club, so, so well done to them. And um, it was a great celebration last night of their 150th anniversary. 
So, more hard work for England, toiling away to try and do something about this pitch and get a result, but I don't hold out a lot of hope. We'll be back anyway to review the fourth day. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.